CISL Vancouver is Sportsnet 650, the official home of the Canucks. Listen live at sportsnet.ca slash 650 through the Sportsnet app or the Radio Player Canada app. It is game one of the Jim Rutherford era tonight for the Vancouver Canucks versus the Winnipeg Jets at Rogers Arena. It's the Canucks Hour here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Drantz, who also does fantastic work covering the team at The Athletic. You can read all of his work there. We are live at Rogers Arena as the Canucks are uh, towards the tail end of their game day skate, getting set to face the Winnipeg Jets tonight here at Rogers Arena. Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. AvenueMachinery.ca. Drancer, it's we, we've packed like two months worth of news into this week so the fact that you know normally we would be sitting here okay we've seen two games under Bruce Boudreaux what are we going to see tonight in game three and we will get to some of that what do we expect to see from the Jets we'll get you some of the updates and uh, wrinkles we're seeing uh, in terms of player personnel lineups all of that from game day skate but the big news surrounding this team is still Jim Rutherford is the president of hockey operations what does that mean What's his to-do list? I think that's the big question on a lot of people's minds. Okay, he's here. He hasn't met with the media yet. We expect that to happen when he arrives in town shortly. But there's a lot on the plate for of Jim Rutherford, and a lot that's going to be on his to-do list in the near future here. Yeah, well, and it's going to start immediately. I mean, it has to. And I mean, my sense is, is that Rutherford's not here tonight. Like, I don't think he'll be in attendance at the game tonight, yeah. is, is the sense that I get. I think it'll be a bit before he arrives, but I suspect his stamp will be felt shortly um, on hockey operations and all facets of this organization, of course. As you'd expect, it needs to be um, working on that at the moment. This is not a, you know what, things are going pretty well and I'm just going to come in and stay the course. We all know that, right? As you said, there's a lot that needs to be done. They brought him in to put his, they didn't bring him in just to, you know, bide his time and put his feet up and see how things go. They brought him in to make changes. That could be off the ice. That could be on the ice as well, because the one thing that everything everyone agrees on, right, with Jim Rutherford, or one of the things that everyone agrees on, is he's going to be aggressive with player personnel. And you, all you have to do is look at his history with the Pittsburgh Penguins to see that. Now, as we said on the show yesterday, very different context for where that team was when he came in and where this team was. Tremendously different where they are in their competitive cycles. But that doesn't mean you can't be aggressive. And I think what's on a lot of people's minds now is, okay... This is a guy who's not afraid to trade players, not afraid to make cha- make changes, not afraid to move big names if he thinks that's what's best. What do you expect to see in terms of player personnel changes, the scope, some of the names that could be involved, the timeline, all of that? I mean, as you said, we expect to see his stamp put on the organization sooner rather than later. Where does this go in terms of trades, in terms of player movement for the rest of the season now under Jim Rutherford? Well, it's an interesting dynamic, too, because you've got to be conscious of the roster freeze, right? You only have a few games before your roster is locked in for two and a half weeks. And I would expect that to be a good excuse for Rutherford to pace himself in terms of evaluating this on-ice roster. Like, you know, by the time you get to two weeks from now, right, 
you're frozen. You're locked in until just after the new year. And so use that. You know, just just chill. You, I mean, look, if there's a guy, if there's a Kevin Connaughton on waivers that you want to claim, sure, go do it. Go do it. They should have done that this week. But in terms of other stuff, like in terms of the meaningful moves, like why? You, you basically buy yourself 15 games to evaluate this roster as a new GM by simply sitting on your hands for two weeks, watching, talking to people, seeing what you've got, and then and then 15 games, you'll have 20 games under Boudreaux roughly to evaluate. That's a decent sample. That Then you can begin to chart yep. a sharp course forward. And you'll still have a lot of time after that before the trade deadline, right? Before the real pressure point of, okay, if we want to move on from some of these guys before the summer, before the offseason, now is when we have to do it. You'll still have a decent chunk of time in there. And it does make sense for anyone coming in, especially somebody complete from completely outside of the organization, you don't want to make snap moves, right? Come in and immediately, hey, we got to trade this guy because, you know, of his contract situation. You want to have a chance to evaluate. It's also going to be interesting. I mean, one of the things we've learned or we've heard more, uh, more prominently since Jim Rutherford was hired is, he has a very close relationship with Bruce Boudreau, right? So, I mean, Boudreau is obviously still in the evaluation process with this roster, with this lineup. And you imagine that now that Rutherford is here, he's likely going to lean pretty heavily on what Bruce Boudreau has to say about these players, on what Boudreau thinks about how they fit, on what Boudreau thinks about, you know, what this roster needs going forward. I imagine, as you said, it's you're going to have – roughly 20 games under Boudreaux before you really had the opportunity to make changes. And I think that dynamic between the two is, is going to be pretty key. hundred percent. Well, and you know, we're seeing some things in terms of how Boudreaux, like we talked about Boudreaux being not beholden to anybody, right. Uh, this week, Yep. but you know, now he kind of is <laughs> already. He kind of is like already there's a general manager who I'm sure should he decide that he wants to move a, Jason Dickinson or a Tucker Pullman. And those are just names out of my, sure. you know, out of my mind bank, as it were. Like, uh, like uh, I, I didn't want to say the word but on, yes, on the radio. From the um, top of your head. From the top, from the very top of my bald head. Yes. You know, like, you, you want them playing. You want them playing and you want them in good opportunities and you want them in the types of opportunities where, you know, you create a sense of real value in, in terms of how the league perceives them. So... You know, it's going to be interesting to see how this dynamic unfolds with Boudreaux and Rutherford. But I think in terms of the player personnel movement side, I think you got to wait. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of fleshing out the organization, in terms of the GM search, in terms of adding to this hockey operations group, I think that work needs to occur immediately. And we will get you more on that side of things uh, as we hear it, obviously, as it develops. But... You look, as you said, Bruce Boudreaux not beholden to anyone. Now, with Jim Rutherford coming in, that changes. But Jim Rutherford is, you know, he's not he's not attached. He's not married. He's not committed to any of the players on this roster, right? And just like with Boudreaux in terms of lineup possibilities, in terms of who's playing on special teams, you know, it opened up a whole new world of, of different things to try when he came in and took over behind the bench with Jim Rutherford. You know, a lot of potential player moves that we would have looked at as extremely unlikely under Jim Benning now all of a sudden might be more possible because Jim Rutherford is going to have a completely different evaluation of these players, and he's not tied to any of them. He didn't draft any of these guys. He didn't trade any of them here with the exception of Tanner Pearson. But other than that, and and Brandon Sutter, it should be mentioned as well, other than that, you know, he doesn't have ties to these players. It's much easier for him to move off them than it would have been for the previous regime. So with that in mind, Drancer, I mean, who do you look at as 
the most likely candidates to be potentially on the move from this roster at some point this season. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be the Vancouver media guy that starts with Barack Besser. <laughs> but his name has to come up. And name, it, it's just, it's just, up. it's it has nothing. It has almost nothing to do with how you evaluate Brock Besser as a player. You just can't look at his contract status and the fact that he's due a seven point five million qualifying offer at the end of this year, and not think he's one of the potential likely names. It, it's just a fact of how the NHL operates and a fact of Brock Besser's contract that. If you're thinking of, you know, big-name guys who could potentially be on the move before the trade deadline, I mean, that's when they have to make a decision. Because if you not, if you don't move them by the deadline, then all of a sudden that contract, that qualifying offer is, you know, just, a, just around the bend. So it has nothing to do with your evaluation of Brock Besser. It has everything to do with his contract. But his name kind of has to be first on the list when you're talking about players who could be on the move. Absolutely. And, and we just saw John Shannon tweet effectively that there's changes in hockey operations coming to uh, coming um i've been alluding to that a little bit i'm, I'm yep. still working on those details so i think the off-ice component is going to be really interesting right now and hopefully we'll get some more details shortly for our audience yeah we we're working on that we will try to get those details as soon as possible but again that's john shannon longtime nhl reporter uh, an insider reporting that uh, he says hearing there are a few more changes occurring today in hockey ops with the Canucks. So as soon as we are able to confirm what those are, uh, we will have that update for you and have instant reaction as well. And as you said, Drancer, no surprise that Jim Rutherford is going to come in and start to immediately put his stamp on the organization. And, you know, obviously one way he's going to do that is by leading the search for the next full-time general manager candidate to replace him as the interim GM. But inevitably, when a new guy comes in, there's always the chance that some of the previous front office people are going to be on their way out. We're still waiting to hear exactly what these changes today look like. I know you're hard at work trying to chase it down, but we will get that to you as soon as we can. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Get your thoughts in. Uh, J.D. in Coquitlam says, I'm betting Rutherford fired the Sedins. I'm going to take that bet against you, J.D. I would be extremely, extremely surprised if that was Jim Rutherford's first move as president of hockey operations with the Vancouver Canucks. That would be an absolute stunner. So I uh, I would, wouldn't worry about that too much. Uh, Marcus and Gibson's text in on the subject of potential player movement. Should we expect Halak to be dealt near the deadline? and have Mikey DiPietro come up and get some play for the last month or two of the season. I mean, I think something like that is certainly on the table. No, right? move, no move clause, and the bonuses are complicated because of how that impacts teams and LTI's cap space next season. Uh, Halak would be one of the more complicated moves to make. And that's going to be the case with a lot of the players on this roster, right? And, and in particular, a lot of the guys that, you know, fans might say, hey, here's our chance to trade this player. Like, I know Tanner Pearson's name has come up a lot, right? Because Jim Rutherford, of course, traded Tanner Pearson to the Vancouver Canucks in exchange for Erica Branson. And as we hear over and over and over again, Drancer, there's a lot of fan dissatisfaction with Tanner Pearson's part in the lineup, with his production, with his contract. A lot of that is is pretty justifiable. But it's not as simple as saying, okay, just get rid of Tanner Pearson, right? Because he has no trade protection in his contract. He has uh, a $3.25 million salary for the next two years after this one. And I, I do want to get back to the potential of making some of those like big blockbuster moves involving a guy like Brock Besser, involving 
somebody like JT Miller. But when you start to go down the list and you you talk about a player like Tanner Pearson, you talk about a player like Tyler Myers, realistically, if you try to move one of those players that, you know, you look at their salary and you say it just doesn't make sense, you're talking about a dollar in, dollar out situation. You're trying to shed that money off your books would be extremely complicated. You'd have to give up other assets. So if you're looking at Tanner Pearson, if you're looking at Tyler Myers as potential trade candidates, pretty much by definition, you're talking about another distressed asset coming back. Someone with a another player with a salary that maybe their team isn't crazy about. And you can win on those deals, but it's not as straightforward as you know the classic, hey, we're going to trade this guy for a pick kind of deal. And I, I do think a big part of the job for Jim Rutherford Rutherford is going to be okay how can we move out some of the salary and lateral moves but still improve our hockey team absolutely and and it's going to be really tough because although that's his specialty right there are a lot of contracts on these books that are going to be difficult to move without taking money back for players that are that are in comparable situations you're going to be looking for the type of rebuild value deals that Rutherford sort of did a fair fair bit of when he was in Pittsburgh. We're talking about your Scuderi's for your Trevor Daly type yeah. deal, right? Like a, a deal for a struggling defenseman for a struggling defenseman who you make into more than what yes. they've been previously. Justin Schultz for a third-round pick. That type of trade is the type of one that, you know, the Canucks will probably look to replicate or Rutherford will look to replicate considering his history and considering his overall, you know, um, uh, like options – on this team. By the way, I've just sent yep. out a tweet. I do have some changes. Uh, I'm, I'm hearing the changes in Canucks ho- hockey operations are already being made. I've been working this for the last half hour, sitting beside you, Jamie, occasionally throwing you just because I've been <laughs> in my phone. Um, I'm not f- sure of the full extent uh, of any additional changes in hockey operations, but it does appear that Executive Director of Hockey Operations, Jonathan Wall, and Assistant General Manager, Chris Gear, who's also the VP of Legal, have been dismissed. Um, you know, when you're talking about Jonathan Wall, you're talking about one of the longest tenured yep. people in this organization. I mean, um, you know, came in, I think, at the tail end of the Pat Quinn era or, or, or early in the Burke era. Um, and it has been the Canucks executive director of hockey operations for over a decade. Um, one of the last people remaining in the organization from those Gillis years, right, worked very closely uh, with Lawrence Gilman managing the cap and managing the day-to-day roster, has been Vancouver's sort of analytics over, like overseer, yep. Uh, at, you know, managing both Aiden Fox, who works closely with the coaching staff, and Ryan Beach, who works closely with the amateur staff, um, and also running the day-to-day cap mechanics for this team. And Chris Gear, who is also this club's VP of Legal, Gear has played a huge role over the course of the pandemic, doing things like bringing Abbotsford back. So you know, two really important executors. Gear is also, of course, the club's lead negotiator yep. and has been. Um, you know, in, in terms of the Hughes deal, the Pedersen deal, like was the front man for, for a Demko. lot of those contracts. Yeah. Demko. Yeah. Um, a fair few good outcomes, I think you'd say, in terms of Vancouver's, uh, especially their RFA negotiations. Absolutely. Uh, you know, some bad ones too, but not in terms of the contract valuation. Like one thing you'd have to say is that the Canucks didn't, the Canucks made bad decisions on some players to sign, 
But once they were haggling with those players, the contracts themselves were well and, and with, solid. And with Chris Gear, it's te- you hear, Far oh, better. he's in charge of contract negotiations, and you think, oh man, that's brutal, because like, you look at Tyler <laughs> Myers and Tucker Pullman. But he's well, not- although those were done before he was uh, not Tucker Pullman, but right, Tyler, Tyler Myers, Myers was done before he was the assistant general manager. But you don't. But he's not the guy identifying Tucker Pullman to sign, right? And so I think a more fair example of or a more fair way to evaluate Chris Gear's work is, as you said, on the RFA side of things, which have actually largely been pretty positive for the Canucks in recent years. Anyways, continue. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the thing with the thing with losing Jonathan Wall is you lose some really important institutional knowledge in terms yeah. of managing the cap. Like, if there was one thing that the Canucks front office was pretty solid at, like, you know, top end in the league, it was day-to-day cap management. And that's to be distinct from the way they've from, allocated yes. their cap space. But in terms of running your 23-man roster – rebuilding and making sure that you had enough guys to play yeah. after the COVID outbreak, yeah. right? They were, they were pretty consistently creative, um, you know, detailed uh, ahead of a, a variety of other teams around the league. Um, you know, that's going to be missed that type of institutional knowledge, that type of heft that, and, and you know what, it was like, it was like one of the vestigial elements of the Gillis era that still kind of impacted this team, um, you know, was their ability to, manage the 23 man to run through um, and make sure that they had options at any given moment and be ahead of things in terms of how they did that. So, you know, that's a a very interesting thing that they're going to have to replace now very fast, like very fast. There is no one in the organization that I can think of in Wall's absence who's going to be ready to do that tomorrow, you know, or as you approach the roster freeze. So that's going to be something you need really fast and one wonders if Rutherford must have someone in mind someone he's worked with in the past who can handle that type of portfolio because that's one that impacts your day-to-day like immediately especially for a team with a ton of injuries right like a ton of money on IR or LTIR um, you know and um, (laughs) and a roster freeze coming up well and we're still in you know we see teams all the time deal with COVID situations right that demand certain cap uh, manipulations cap gymnastics to get players on the ice to get a roster on the ice so it's still very much a live issue and as you said I mean that's not something you can wait and address in the summer that's something that is you know no matter what position your team is in no matter what the direction of your franchise in, that's something that you need to have in place on a day-to-day basis in season as you said especially with a roster freeze coming up in not that long from now for sure. So, and and then, you know, the organization also loses a really key again executor in terms of, you know, the administrative side of the job, the logistics that go into, um, you know, bringing an AHL franchise here or working through the legal difficulties that have surrounded COVID and, um, you know, on and on. So it's a, this organization has always run lean. Right, they they tend to run a little bit lean, and now they're even leaner. And and maybe that's a short term thing. Is Rutherford looks to rebuild his uh, hockey operations department or this hockey operations department? But boy, oh boy, like they're going to need help very quickly because that day to day, that like hands on execution, like Stan Smeal's got forty years of experience in this business, but that's not something. But not he's doing done, that, yeah. Right, um, the Sedins are new to this world uh ryan johnson has run a team in the american league so but like that's a really big portfolio that's a lot of responsibility to throw on ryan johnson like tomorrow and running the team in the ahl is very different than the daily cap management you're talking about at the nhl level it absolutely is although because because 
you you see it because you're the guy discussing who the yes on the are, other side. Yeah, yeah, you actually yeah. do have a fair bit of insight into it in a role like Ryan Johnson has has run and operated. Plus, you know, the AHL has all sorts of esoteric rules. Sure, it's like veteran sure. players yes. on and on. And the way that Utica ran for years, like Ryan Johnson's often been tasked with like cobble together a bottom six out of ATO guys. Like, okay, sure. Um, so so you know. I'm not saying it's above his capabilities by any means, but it is a big ask for for Ryan Johnson for this organization in the interim, and that would suggest to me that they've got to be bringing in some bodies, some executive talent fast. Well, that's that's the next question, and I do want to talk a little bit more about the Jonathan Wall side of things as well, because I know for a lot of fans, they hear Jonathan Wall, and immediately they think of the analytics department, and there's obviously always concern that, you know, is this franchise taking full advantage of analytics? Are they ever going to be on the kind of the cutting edge of that side of things? But as you said, these are not positions that you wait and fill. These are likely positions that you need to replace soon. So what does that tell you? Not just about specifically replacing, you know, an assistant general manager and an executive director of hockey operations, but does this mean we could be much closer than we might have thought to learning who the next general manager of the Canucks is going to be potentially. I struggle with that one. I'm not sure. I, um, I just don't have, I, I just don't know. Sure. You know what I mean? Like that's one where I don't even want to pretend and pick up and pretend yes. I know. Cause I don't, I I'm honestly a, a little surprised that these moves came down today, particularly because we're only a few days removed from Chris gear being this a seminal and essential part of the, the, the by committee group. Like, group. Yeah. Like his name dropped in press releases and in Stan Smeal, Stan Smeal name checked John wall in a Jonathan wall in a um, press conference four days ago, Yeah, four days ago. So, you know, it's, it's tough for me to then be like, well, this is what this means from this organization right now, right now we're dealing with a, an organization that, you know, is going through significant changes, and some of those changes appear to not be um, perhaps as, as exhaustively thought out as as you might might expect, right? I mean, Bruce Boudreau gave an interview on uh, our sister station in Toronto, the Fan 590, and discussed getting a call from Francesco whether he'd agree to the terms or not, and once he had, he got a call on Sunday that being like, three hours, yep. come to the PJ, <laughs> let's go, bud. And, uh, and you know, and then... The club on Monday has Stan Smeal talk to this fan base and ownership talk to this fan base about an exhaustive search and about Stan Smeal's responsibilities over a term that certainly seemed to me to imply months, at least weeks, in terms of evaluating. And then four, three days later, they have a president of hockey operations who also replaces Smeal as interim GM. And now we've seen wholesale changes of executives in the hockey operations department who were being name-checked as like reasons to be confident in the Canucks's transition plan as recently as 48 hours ago, 72 hours ago. So, you know, it does add a veneer of instability, which at the end of the day, if you're going to make changes, may not be a wholly bad thing, well, but, might- but it does certainly leave the organization shorthanded in the short term. And it feels like one of these situations where the the what's really going to be telling is what happens next and and the timeline on which things happen next. Cuz as you said, look, if you're going to make major changes, there might be an element of, hey, rip the band-aid off, right? Why wait? That that to me applies more if you have reasonable strong replacements ready to go pretty quickly. And the only reason I bring up the potential of a this, you know, foretelling a general manager hire is because 
as you mentioned yesterday, you know, Jason Botterill, when he worked with Jim Rutherford in Pittsburgh, one of his duties was as the kind of capologist, right, who was doing a lot of that cap management for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So if you do think there's, you know, fire to the Jason Botterill smoke, he's handled a role like – uh, the the play, the people that are being re, uh, let go today, like they do for the Canucks, so that might be a replacement that makes sense. But again, that's just speculation. We'll have to wait and see where the story goes from here. If you are just joining us again, uh, Executive Director of Hockey Operations Jonathan Wall and Assistant General Manager Chris Gear have been let go. So uh, that was reported first by my co-host Thomas Drance, and as he said, Jim Rutherford's stamp being put on this organization already on really his first full day on the job as president of hockey operations. Okay, we will continue to digest that news, what it might mean for the future of the Vancouver Canucks. But, hey, yeah, they do have a game. They keep breaking this big news on game days for us, but they do have a game tonight against the Winnipeg Jets at Rogers Arena. We'll talk a little bit about what we saw at the morning skate that just wrapped up not that long ago here at Rogers Arena, and we'll look ahead to the matchup against the Winnipeg Jets as well. Keep your text coming in, 650-650. It is the Canucks Hour on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650, Jamie Dodd and Canucks Insider, Thomas Drance. And Drance are living up to the billing today, breaking some big news of the Canucks front office live finally. on the show. Finally. Well, look, I mean, we're only on an, <laughs> we're only on an hour a day. So it ha- the, the stars really have to align Cam, for it to happen Cam, on the Cam show. Barra listening in being like, finally, it only took you three months. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Cam. Hey, look. I want to I want to discuss the news today. So the news off the hour to reset it for our listeners. Yes. Look at me broadcast. There you go. Right. Reset. Always um, reset. <laughs> Dan Riccio up in here. <laughs> um, <laughs> the key thing to note here. So what we're talking about is Canucks assistant general manager Chris Gear and executive director of hockey operations Jonathan Wall appear to have been dismissed or have been dismissed. I can confirm the. Full extent of additional hockey operations changes are not yet known. And so as Jim Rutherford is set to land, and he hasn't even met the staff, as he's set to land in Vancouver, he will be inheriting a relatively lean front office. A front office that was already lean and has now dismissed a general manager, two assistant general managers, and a director of hockey operations who runs the day-to-day 23-man roster just over the course of five days. So... This poses some really interesting questions because one thing we talked about a lot yesterday on the Canucks Hour was Rutherford's history as a mentor. Rutherford's history developing people within an organization and the fact that, you know, so many people in this industry, whether it's Randy Sexton, whether it's, you know, uh, Tom Fitzgerald, Bill Guerin, Jason Botterill, so many future uh, top executives or assistant general managers have come through his organization. But at the end of the Rutherford era in Pittsburgh, and this is an important note as I made calls around the league, one thing that sort of happened was Bill Guerin took the Minnesota job. Botterill took the Buffalo job. Fitzgerald took the New Jersey job. job. Um, He had a falling out with Jason Carmanos, who's now the Buffalo Sabres assistant general manager, uh, and he was fired. And by the end... There wasn't a lot of bodies. The pipeline had run dry. Well, not, not just the pipeline had run dry. There wasn't a yep. lot of hockey operations staff, period, at a high level. And so they you know, promoted director of amateur scouting Patrick Alvin to AGM. I believe Sam Ventura got a title. Sam Ventura is a, the data, the quant um, behind War on Ice out of Pittsburgh. They yep. hired him. 
and he's now in, in Buffalo and is honestly an absolute thoroughbred in terms of his intellectual capacity and what he brings to a hockey operations department. They promoted him to a director level just to give the organization some of the depth and heft that it needed in the front office. So as Rutherford's coming in and as these changes are being made short, sure, have to be with his blessing considering all the uh, chatter about the autonomy yes. that Rutherford would have. And and just before you continue, I mean, a question just came in from an unsigned texter, 650-650. If JR hasn't even met the staff, does that mean Francesco Aquilini was actually behind uh, these th- firings? I mean, these po- that, that post It's a fair some, question, at least. It's a very fair question. Yes. Particularly as things have moved so quickly and so, frankly, haphazardly from the outside, looking in, over the course of this week. At odds... With the public statements of the organization. Well, and, and your answer, not just over the course of this week, over the course of, what, the last six eight. weeks? <laughs> eight, eight years, but specifically <laughs> in this iteration of the crisis, it Absolutely. was patience, 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 boom, now we're, now we're making but, our hires. But even now, even now that the Canucks have landed like a couple of marquee leaders, right? Boudreaux and Rutherford are the types of names that meaningfully sell hope to yes. a marketplace desperate Which we've it. seen already, how we've, well we've that has seen, worked. We've seen already. Yeah. But, but... Is it style over substance if an exhaustive search lasts three days? If a variety of names that you're told are like reasons for confidence in an interim group are then dismissed from the organization 72 hours later? Like at what point does it look like the organization's reactionary and flying by the seat of their pants despite having made good hires? Like at what point do we question the process despite outcomes that we like? Now, in, in again, I just want to come back to Rutherford's mentorship thing because the 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 – Essentially, the task that Rutherford's inheriting is now a little bit steeper because you've got to move a little bit faster in terms of building out what you've got. You've still got an interim assistant general manager in Ryan Johnson. Um, is is, is, Is there going to be a formal promotion there? Is he going to be considered for GM? I think some clarification on that side needs to be forthcoming fast. I also think you're going to need to be bringing in some people who can certainly take over on day one and manage the day-to-day cap mechanics for this roster, that needs to happen immediately. That is not something you can wait for, especially as the roster freeze approaches. So, you know, I do think that there are now, like, we thought about Rutherford coming in and evaluating and taking his time with the roster and on and on, but there are now a couple of, like, blinking red lights (laughs) on the dashboard that need to be addressed post-haste by Vancouver's new president of hockey operations. And again, I think it's going to be very telling how Jim Rutherford chooses to flesh out this front office because, you know, I was certainly, like a lot of other people, were banging the drum for the president and general manager structure. But that's only the kind of top line item on how a front office should be structured. And, and I think as we look at the teams that are consistently competitive around the NHL, one of the things we see is they have a lot of hands on deck, right? And so it's fine. It's all well and good to have the president and GM structure. I think that's important. I think that's that was the best course of action for this team, but it can't stop there. You also need to hire a lot of other smart people and empower them to do their jobs really well. And again, as you said, these are the, the type of kind of nitty-gritty day-to-day jobs that demand immediate replacements. We'll see... You know, as the next few days or weeks develop, what those replacements do, in fact, look like. But even then, going beyond that, 
how Jim Rutherford is able to stock the front office and the types of people he's able to bring, the type of environment he's able to build, that is going to be hugely important. I think you're right. It's fair to say from the outside looking in that the process has been haphazard. Maybe there was a missed opportunity not to canvas more of the really smart people around the league and get their opinions and their thoughts on the direction of this franchise. That's all fair. But it's also the kind of thing that can still be salvaged if Jim Rutherford builds that type of really dynamic, modern, robust front office. And it remains to be seen how he will go about doing that. Just a couple of other uh, text messages that I wanted to read. Brent in Fort St. John says, Honestly, as a Canucks fan and a regular listener of this station, I've never even heard of Jonathan Wall. And that's fair to an extent. He was not a public-facing figure in this organization. But as you said, you know, he, one, oversaw the analytics department, and two, did a lot of the day-to-day cap work for this team, which are both hugely important roles. <laughs> and I think, you know, we're seeing a lot of questions you, come in about gotta, the analytics you, side of things specifically. You've you got to know this about hockey operations too, right? One thing about hockey operations is just because the fans haven't heard of these people, right? What that tells you is not about their importance internally. It's It tells you more about their comfort level being discussed, yes. you know? The, the guys you're going to hear the most about tend to be the ones happiest to talk about their roles, <laughs> happiest to talk about their involvement. The guys who promote, self-promote, right? Um, so do, do not confuse frequency of chatter about X uh, functionary yes. within a hockey operation with importance with with importance or overall value yeah right and and I would say in in the case of both guys um, you know that that certainly applies but but for John Wall you know in particular because dating back to dating back to the Gillis era like there were a lot of mechanics overseen by the club's assistant general manager Lawrence Gilman right whom John Wall reported to there were a lot of smart ideas that the club came up with that in fact were you know, Jonathan, Jonathan Wall's Wall ideas, ideas, right? Because it's like that's how that's how organizations work. You work collaboratively with someone, right? And your boss and, takes credit. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> just how it works. But also, but also, you know, but your boss. No, no, your, I'm joking. Yeah, I'm joking. No, your boss in that reporting structure deserves credit because it takes a good boss to identify yes, a yes. good idea, right? Yeah. How many bosses have you had where you've suggested something that you know is right? Yeah, and they're like, um, no. And then when and then and then like three weeks later they're in a meeting that's going badly with their boss they pitch your idea and then it's you know and they, but they don't even listen and you don't get credit yeah. as Don Draper would say that's what the money is for <laughs> so you know I I would say I would say do not confuse a lack of profile with a lack of value all right. Um, yeah, we will uh, look. Well, if if as the news breaks and as more information comes in, I know Drancer is still furiously working his contact book to get any more updates he can. We will get them to you about the Canucks front office moves today. Again, Jonathan Wall and Assistant General Manager Chris Gear, uh, my co-host Drancer, reporting that they have been let go of the organization on again Jim Rutherford's first full day as the president of hockey operations. But there is a game coming up in about. Seven and a half hours here at Rogers Arena. It's the Canucks versus the Winnipeg Jets. 2-0 under Bruce Boudreaux. Looking to make it 3-0 against the Jets on home ice tonight. And look, what what has been Boudreaux's mantra since he took over, right? Win the week. Don't look at it as, oh, we have to go 37-17 and and whatever. Just win the week. And all of a sudden, the Canucks have put themselves in a chance to win the week. And you look at the Jets. They're on the second night of a back-to-back fourth game in six nights and 
the Boudreaux bump looks like it might be able to continue here tonight at Rogers Arena, Drancer. I'm really curious to see tonight's game. You know, Comrie and Net for the Winnipeg Jets. This should be a tired team. Um, this is a this is a winnable game. Another winnable game for the Canucks, and I think there's huge value for this organization, this team, these players in having three straight wins under a new coach. Especially as they, you know, we saw Brad Shaw barking out instructions on defensive zone yep. work. We've seen changes in how the club wants to forecheck. We we saw them punt and hunt. In the neutral zone, in a way we've very rarely seen in the past. Um, you know, those are changes that, if they're accompanied with wins, off the bat success, you know that that helps get a message across. That helps and it helps the players buy in. Helps like, players. Hey, believe. this isn't just new. This is effective. Well, and, and a sense of belief is is something so. I mean, it's intangible, but it's so important for this group to have, especially with how lifeless they looked yeah. for the first two months of the season. So, you know. Like, there's a lot of things about this team that I think are, are we're going to turn around anyway. Like, there there are things that we have to be careful ascribing to the coaching change solely. But, you know, I do think that some wins, some belief, I think the breath of fresh air anyway is completely real right now. And we'll see if it continues because they do have a couple of winnable games against tired teams this weekend. It's a good opportunity well, <laughs> to at least start 3-1 and one in the Boudreaux. Yeah, I mean, I would say... If you're looking to win the week, right, if you're really buying into that, tonight's the game you have circled on your calendar. Because, yeah, Carolina's going to be tired when they come in at the end of kind of a West Coast swing, but that's still the Carolina Hurricanes. And a tired Carolina Hurricanes on Sunday is still a very, very daunting opponent for any team, but in particular, I think, for this Canucks team still, even with Bruce Boudreau behind the bench. So no change uh, to the lineup uh, that the Canucks iced this morning at the forward group. The the big note is OEL, of course, who have uh, missed the game against Boston. He was not on the ice for morning skate. Bruce Boudreaux had said he hoped that OEL would be ready. He is not. So we will wait and hear what Boudreaux has to say about OEL's status when he talks to the media shortly. But that means that the defense uh, lines up like this. And remember, Travis Hamannick was also put on IR by the team yesterday. So it's Quinn Hughes and Luke Shen, Tucker Pullman, playing on his offside with Tyler Myers and then Brad Hunt and Kyle Burrows on the third pairing. So that's uh, (laughs) as much as you want to look at it and say this is a tired Winnipeg Jets team and a chance for the Canucks to win, that's also a pretty makeshift defense (laughs) they're running out there. And I guess the question for me, Drancer, is I thought what the blue line did against Boston was they survived, right? It, it, It was not the ideal blue line that you want to put out there in an NHL game, but they survived. I thought they played pretty well defensively. I actually thought their defensive play in that game was pretty good. I actually think their defensive play at five on five has been pretty good all season. It's been fine. Especially considering the personnel. Yeah. If you go look at the rate uh, at which the Canucks are surrendering five on five goals against, it's like really good. Yeah. Like if you'd told me the Canucks would do this well preventing five on five goals this season, I'd be like, Jim Benning's in the running oh, for that, GM of the oh, year. Oh, that's a playoff team. Yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> but, uh, but so, you know, Pullman on the left side with Myers. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. The, the, and, and facing a forward group that knows them well in Winnipeg is, uh, is, an, interesting, point. is an interesting dynamic. The double uh, revenge game for that, uh, for that pairing. Brad Hunt, though. Fresh start for Brad Hunt. What Brad Hunt's going to have a better performance tonight than he has for this team to this point in the season. I, yeah. I'm I'm calling that now. Um, I've been higher on Brad Hunt than just about anyone, maybe outside of his parents. 
uh, coming into the season. I don't know. There was a lot of excitement about about Brad Hunt. Oh yeah, but it was all, all it was most it was either me or generated by me. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. Like I, I, Brad Hunt is is one of I make I make sort of like lists of guys I like as value bets every right. off season, and Brad Hunt was like the fourth name on mine. And, you know, uh, along with Mason Appleton and, like, Andres Kasha and Kampf. And, you know, two for two of four ain't bad. <laughs> but I think Brad Hunt can still be hugely useful to this team. And I'm curious to see how he looks on that pair with Burroughs. I- I'm deeply worried about Pullman Myers, like, just in advance. Um, although Luke Shen on the left side held up decently against the Bruins. And just overall, as I look through, you know, this Canucks team, I, I do think that they're overall defensive structure has not been about blue line quality. Like they have survived a blue line that for me is one of the worst in the league while getting totally good or even better than good results. Five on five um, defensively anyway. So, you know, at this point, next man up, uh, I mean, they've, they've survived to this point. I, I OEL is a huge loss, but they've yeah. survived to this point. The thing that really worries you is just when you look at how it lines up without OEL is there is no obvious matchup pairing, right? Like if you're asking Tucker Poolman playing on his offside with Tyler Myers to handle those kind of classic tough minutes that the OEL and Myers pair has been handling, that's a really, really tall order for that group. And, you know, you look at this Winnipeg Jets team, and I think it's a flawed team, but they still have high-end offensive talent that scares you, right, with the likes of Kyle Connor and Mark Shifley and Nick Ehlers. They have guys who can burn you, so that's going to be a major, major question for me in this game is how can the defense as a whole, specifically how can that Pullman and Myers pairing hold up against some of the Jets' dangerous forwards? And I wonder if a lot of that is, as you've said, they've they've managed to get decent defensive results despite the personnel flaws on the blue line so far this year. And in that game against Boston, the the Dickinson and Horvat group was asked to carry a, a really, you know, heavy load against the perfection line in Boston. And I wonder if more than the defensive pairings tonight, that's kind of going to be the key to shutting the Jets down, is how well can Dickinson, Horvat, and Hoaglander win their tough minutes against some of the Winnipeg Jets' top offensive threats. <laughs> and the Jets are a very threatening offensive team. I mean, no question about that, right? They can they can ding you. Um, Nick Ehlers might be my favorite player to watch in hockey. He's a delight. He's a, deli- he's a yeah. delight. The way he changes direction is incredible. And Kyle Connor has an attribute that I love, which is just how quickly – sorry, how hard he works and how smart he is at finding soft areas of coverage, how, how well he gets open. I just think it's uh, it's incredible. He's the best at it in the league. Those two guys, in particular, have legit game-breaking attributes, right? Totally, yeah. They, they can turn the game on a game on its head in like that, like right? that. And so you've got to be careful, uh, or the Canucks will have to be careful tonight. Uh, this game's not without its challenges, but back to back, fourth and six. The Canucks have tended to play the Jets pretty well, even dating back to last season when they were bad. Yeah, for a long time it was a nightmare against the Jets. The the yep. worm has started to turn a little Absolutely. bit on that the last, regard. The last three years, right? Yep. I think they had some of their best performances last season against the Jets. They did, yes. And they'll need one again today. So um, it's going to be interesting, but this is, a, this is a winnable game and a big opportunity for Boudreaux and the club to sort of keep the good times yep. rolling a little bit, which, you know, again, I'm not a guy who thinks they're <laughs> – like the 
uh, you know, seven points out of a playoff spot sounds no. sounds great until you realize that you're seven points behind Colorado, yes. who also has four games in hand. And you look at the number of teams you have to jump and, <laughs> and all of that. It's, it's not seven points. No, it's, it's so much harder it's than that. Like, it's like 11. It's so much harder than that. <laughs> it's 11 against a team that's going to crush the rest of the league over the balance. Yeah. So, you know, and then and then ninth place is Vegas. So, okay, good luck. Um, but but that doesn't matter. It's about the good times, in my view, anyway. It's and about it's about it's about getting yourself to a level set where Rutherford and this organization get a meaningful opportunity to, to evaluate where this team and where these players are at before making substantive and, changes and, to the roster and building rebuilding value for some of these players, right? As much as you can in the interim while you wait and see what kind of moves you do want to make. Now, as you said, the defensive results at five on five have not really been the issue. For the Canucks this year, it's been the fact that they can't consistently generate, you know, enough volume of high-danger scoring chances. And that changed against the Kings on Monday in Boudreaux's first game. That was one of their more dangerous offensive performances of the year at even strength. But we kind of saw it revert back to how things had been under Travis Green on Wednesday against Boston, where they're having their fair share, fair share control of the puck. And you, if you look at things like shot attempts, I think they even came out ahead compared to the Boston Bruins in that game. But they struggled to really get to those danger, dangerous areas of the ice at five on five. So I think that's something that you really need to watch tonight against the Jets as well. And for me, and it ties into the the lack of scoring chances that this team has been able to generate, the number one question basically still for every game is, is this the game that Elias Pettersson breaks out, right? Like that is going to be the big talking point or one of the biggest talking points every game until we see a truly Elias Pettersson-esque performance from number 40 for this team. The Pettersson questions will not go away for sure. No. No, he he will need to put them to bed, right? Those are, those are questions that will linger until they don't. And... You know, I've liked a lot of what I've seen from Pedersen, not just like under Boudreaux, which is the simplistic way to say it, but like dating back to the Philly game, I'd say for since about for the last two weeks, I think he's been coming in a different way than he was earlier on in the season where we were looking for any sign of hope. Um, you know, I think he's been a, a faster paced player. I, yes. I, Bruce Boudreaux wants him to shoot more. I, I see that entirely like I think he had one shot attempt through 40 minutes I thought that was very night. noticeable against Boston where yeah. he, he was clutching and you're like oh man that, that was your opportunity yeah. that was your chance shoot the puck unleash release the hounds Petey. Yeah. so you know but uh, look Pedersen's gonna uh, I'm the I'm the least concerned guy about Pedersen in the entire city and that remains the truth and the the thing with Pedersen as you said is you're starting to see some of those classic this player looks like they might break out of a slump signs, right? Which is the the engagement physically. You know, he threw the big reverse hit, or he threw a couple of reverse hits against the Bruins on Wednesday. He's skating harder. He's playing that more direct game. Those are things that we just didn't see at all early in the season. So at least now, as you say, there are those real signs that, hey, we're not just squinting and hoping and wishing that a breakout is coming. There's real tangible things you can look at. But having said that, Still not shooting enough, and I think there's still a fair number of plays where you expect Elias Pedersen to make a really slick play with the puck, and it's just a little sloppy. It's it's not what we're used to seeing. Obviously, that has to turn around before we're going to see the classic vintage Elias Pedersen type of performance. And, you know, as we talk about 
who needs to get going and how can Bruce Boudreaux get better from from Elias Pettersson, it doesn't just matter in terms of winning these games, although I think you and I agree that there is value to winning these games for the remainder of the season for the organization. It's also going to have a tremendous impact on how Jim Rutherford looks at this team and looks at this core and looks at this group of players and what they're capable of, right? Because if you do see vintage Elias Pettersson back sooner rather than later and you see Elias Pettersson play like that for an extended stretch of time before the trade trade deadline, that gives you so much more confidence that, hey, we have our number one center going forward. If this type of play for Elias Pettersson continues, then I think it becomes an open question. And then I think the decision of what to do or or Jim Rutherford's decision of what direction to take this team, it becomes a lot more difficult if you're not 100% or at least very close to 100% certain of what type of Elias Pettersson you're going to get going forward. Yeah. Well, and you need to know that. Like, you need to have a sense of if these guys are the elite pieces you can build around or not Yes, before you start to plan this offseason. I we, think they are, by the way. Well, and we've talked about, like, Quinn Hughes. <laughs> I think Quinn Hughes is playing fantastic hockey I right agree. now. So if you look at Quinn Hughes, you're like, he's under contract. That is our building block on the blue line. We love it. We're excited about that. With Elias Pettersson, I'm with you. I still think he ultimately is that guy. But the longer it goes without being that guy, you know, the more it's fair to start having questions. And at least totally. to start planning for the contingency. Okay, what happens if... What happens? What if, happens if he's not? What? Hap- what? Hap- well, and here's the thing too: is like the line is so broad, right? If Elias Pettersson is a low-end first-line player, yeah, right, that means he's a great player, yeah. But that's very different from very a different. franchise yes. player, and and that significantly alters what you have to do to compete and win a Stanley Cup in this league. It really changes your whole strategy going forward, right? That line. It's great to have, hey, this is a good first-line center. That's awesome. That's a really valuable piece. That's a really important piece to have in your organization. Totally. Completely different universe from, hey, this guy could be a top, you know, five, six, seven center in the league. That is it's just, it changes literally everything that you're going to do. And again, I still have that belief in Elias Pettersson. He has the talent, the ability to be that player. But you do have to see it on the ice sooner rather than later, you hope. And we will see if he can start to return to that form tonight against the Winnipeg Jets. 7 p.m. puck drop. Pre-game show will start at 5 with the guys on the People Show. Satin Bick, have your intermission and post-game coverage. You can hear it all here on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. That is going to do it for us. We broke some news. We broke down the game. Have a great weekend, everyone. We'll be back Monday at 11 a.m. to continue talking about the Canucks. This has been the Canucks Hour on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.